0: Good evening ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries to another exciting episode of the Hostile Takeover. Thank you again for listening and even though it's the second time around, once again a happy 2022. The bar could not be lower, let's hope for a better year than the last two train wrecks. For those of you just joining us or a continued member of the show, thank you for listening to us through our Patreon supports. It really does mean a great deal to all of us here at Fantastic Universes. As you well know, all patrons get early access to every drip of written content as well as extended and uninterrupted ad-free episodes of every podcast we produce. And with the wide broad world of PC, console, tabletop and every gaming medium in between covered right here on the Hostile Takeover, it's about time that I broadened my horizons as a new year and this game has inspired something that I make content about nearly every day and a game that I play every day. But Legends of Runeterra, the League of Legends card game, is something that I discovered fairly early into the world's closure, but there was a moment where I was playing this free-to-play card game and I thought, wow, the lore is really entrenched and the character designs are really cohesive. This game couldn't have just appeared out of nowhere. And then I said, oh, it's based on League of Legends, of course, and everyone who's everyone knows, either by good or ill, the reputation of the mobile League of Legends. But I only know it by reputation, and I know that a very dear friend has spent an enormous amount of time on it, but he is insists that it's something that he has left behind. So I want to look to someone who loves it and appreciates it, even though it can be a, a unique experience in the world of PC gaming, as well as this dear friend being someone that I have survived university with and someone I will consistently go to for advice on card gaming and apparently now League of Legends. My dear friend and gentlest of giants connor how are you sir
1: i am doing very well adam lovely to be here uh, i am connor otherwise known as akariu and i'm here to talk to you today and try and get you into the heaven slash cesspit known as legal legends
0: uh heaven and cesspit the yeah like the truest yes. contradiction of uh of adjectives but from what i understand of the game that is definitely uh definitely an apt description but we'll get to that main event in just a hot second because you are new to this show this little arena of discussion that i put on but the people i bring in are what i like to consider as capital g gamers people who dabble with all kinds of competition and creation people who love to roll dice or press buttons to high speed crack hands skills so this is something I don't actually really think we've talked about much, you and I, back in our uni days, uh, slinging, slinging magic. So why don't you tell me, and of course our dear listeners, where your gaming backstory begins?
1: My gaming backstory? So when I was a small child, my uh, my father was actually big into stuff like D&D and game, magic gathering and all those kinds of games. And for better or worse, I kind of also fell into the same traps. I started playing Yu-Gi-Oh! from a very young age. Absolutely adored it. And it started my entire card game borderline career at this point. Uh, started playing it from a young age. My mum, whenever she could have bought me the cards that I was after. Playing with friends. Absolutely loving it. But then, as I grew older, I found the game that became made so many of my friendships, including ours. Magic the Gathering. I discovered this when I was about 13 at my local Warhammer club, because that's what I was playing a lot of at the time. And from there, I started becoming a more competitive player within the card game community, as well as starting a, what I'd call the library, a collection of card games of discontinued even still running card games which i still try to pull out and play from time to time or talk about from my repertoire um i unfortunately have no big gamer creds within the magic uh game i the best i can talk of is top eights within gpts and just shy day twos at gps but It's truly something that I've loved, given a lot of love to, for a lot of my life to, as well as made many lifelong friendships.
0: I'm very grateful to Magic as a game as a whole, because uh, uh, as well as yourself, it's uh, defined a lot of my friendships, my long-standing relationships, and my brand as a creator and a community member. Most people just refer to me as Is It every now and then. I'm just like, ah, Blue Red Tempo Ah, feels. That's definitely where (laughs) I started, and that's definitely something I think you new me four play with the big um tournament that we we, i jammed a lot of delver and it was great and it's a deck i still try to play in pauper but i'm very behind on the ban list but uh yeah
1: Um, magic is exciting news about pauper now but we can leave that to another episode
0: yes another episode coming very soon this is the first of many times you'll be hearing connor's dulcet tones dear listener (laughs) as we talk card gamey goodness and a very long and very regular segment as our schedules allow but as for today's episode we're going to get to the the league itself so where did you pick up league of legends and as part of your gaming backstory friend
1: okay so league of legends i first tried it back in oh god uh about 10 years ago um back when it was still about season two season three so very early in its life cycle i believe the champions that had just been released were those the likes of Azir and um, I believe it was Braum when I first started out. So quite a while back, but I could barely play it. My laptop at the time was a chunky little thing and it chugged along even at the very low requirements that League of Legends require. It would have a FPS of about 2... <laughs> At uh, any sign of a fight, it would have a ping of at least two hundred. as any competitive computer game would notice in any form of game that requires some kind of dexterity, That's unplayable,
0: yes, it is. I've been told, uh, yeah, I've been told that uh, your latency has to be non-existent to play league well. I think you need some like very high you, speeds to play league from what yeah, I hear. You
1: can- uh, depends on what champion you're playing, to be honest. Some champions you can get away with 200 ping and 30 FPS and have a grand old time because that's just how they roll. And then some other champions you'll play, and if you have the slightest bit of lag, you will just die mid-combo and feel like you're useless. Ah, Aurelia, <laughs> uh, as we like to call it.
0: Yeah, but I think she seems complicated based on how she manages all of the various blades that she likes to zip around.
1: Uh, that is the uh, Legends of Terror. In League of Legends, she plays similar but differently, uh, I believe would be the best way to put it. Yeah. She's a, a bruiser character. She oh. likes to get in. Oh, that's interesting. But still, I think there's,
0: yeah, and, uh, then there's definitely still some synergy to that where you need to be able to time your attacks so that she can yeah. bruise as effectively as she can.
1: Yeah, the way she plays is um, her Q, because in the... In League of most champions have typically four abilities: Q, A, W, an E, and an R. Uh, R being an ultimate, and the others being regular abilities. Her Q is to be able to dash to any enemy target, as well as I believe wards and allies. I mean, it may just be the enemy champions. I haven't played her in uh, enemy units. I haven't played her in a while. And if it's under a certain amount of threshold, she'll execute them. But the way she does this is through minions. So she constantly zips lines through minions and then onto the enemy champion, where if they have any one of her debuffs, it then resets the Q to be able to dash again. And that is how she plays. Many uh, players will say that if you try and play on lock screen, you'll get vertigo, um, some motion sickness from how fast the screen jutters about
0: just like the speed at which the certain characters can move can actually like really affect you yeah uh, i haven't had oh, yeah. proper bad motion sickness since back since back before my fps days i've uh somewhat left that genre behind uh sorry valorant i would like to play you but i don't know if i can
1: Uh well well if you're getting used to the toxic communities well there you go we've got both of them
0: yeah that's uh something i think we have to address it's um
1: yes i think we can probably
0: i think we can address the reputation that the community has right here at the gate we can hopefully start to unpack the game itself and hopefully shine a light on the many positives it has that keeps players coming back for well over well well over 15 years at this point so how true is it that the reputation of the reputation it has how bad can the community get
1: Oh, okay. So I have been told to uninstall the game. Mm-hmm. I have been told everything under the sun about my mum. Mm-hmm. Everything about my what to do with my life, if you catch my drift with that. Sure. Um, the usual obscenities thrown about, trash, it being one of the uh, lessers of the evils. And this can be from both teams, and then you have the toxicity, in a way, of people just going You know what, I don't want to play this game, I'm just going to INT as we know it Which is where you throw yourself to die Like, running straight into the enemy team without any thought and just not doing anything Just to let them get a kill Running on the tower to die via that way Some people just go AFK and then type in open mid, for example which means that they are not going to be in that lane and that the enemy team can just go through it a lot easier. Uh, And this is probably, other than um, the difficulty of the game, I I say that loosely, it's floor-wise quite easy, skill-wise, ceiling-wise quite high. It's probably its largest pitfall as a game, is that sometimes you will meet people that you just wish you had never met. And Unfortunately, as a competitive game, because typically the games like this, they are quite competitive. It is something you, you can more or less accept there are ways around it. You can mute people, luckily, uh, so that you don't see anything of the typing, but you still see their pings, which are important for the game. It's a frustrating feature. I would never, I would highly recommend if anyone were to play it and they have issues with mental health and can easily become triggered f- through. Um, people come frustrated if, and, uh, tilted as we call it, then maybe give, play something like ARAM where people just play for fun rather than some ranked games, because people, and even normal games at times, because people can get very gung ho about the game, which is, a a massive pitfall. <laughs>
0: Certainly not for the faint of heart because of the, the hyper-competitive time. nature of it. There's a lot of things that yeah. just make people feel very passionate and determined and take it out on it when... because it's Because it's team-based, I suppose there's a lot of elements where you can play your champion and your role within the team perfectly, but if one person messes up yeah. even once, that can just completely hamper or cost you the match. So that yep, kind that of aggression can, can just happen. As it Yeah, it's,
1: I believe everyone who's played any form of team based, semi competitive game, be it uh, Call of Duty, Valorant, CSGO, um, Overwatch, or uh, Dota, Hero Storm, any other mobile or multiplayer game, team versus team, I think everyone's had these outbursts. Unfortunately, most people don't type them when they get frustrated. Unfortunately, some people do and that's unfortunately sometimes something you have to go right there how i'm having a bad game or they're having a bad game just kind of zone it out and just like right it's okay i'm playing this i'm playing this game to have fun or i'm playing this game to win is a big distinction that some people may have to make when they decide to play this game because you're playing to win and you're doing ranks you might become more and more frustrated with the game if you're getting teams of one person feeding versus the enemy Fiora, that can just 1v5 your entire team when she's fed. But then we also have the issue of if you're the one who's uh, unfortunately brand new to the game, and you're just starting your first ranked game at level 30 or what have you, it can um, be a bit disheartening, especially when you are in your first few games. But Sometimes you just have to look and go, hey, I'm brand new, I'm still learning or I'm just having a bad game, for whatever reason it is.
0: So going in with the expectation that things will be a little bit hostile and a little bit unfriendly is definitely a way to measure your expectations so that you don't go in and just have your soul completely crushed by people <laughs> who've been at this since 2009, or it was 2009 yeah. for sure. To, and to
1: an extent,
0: yeah. So just being able to like accept that things will be tough because of the nature of it being hyper-competitive a staple of the genre and team-based means that you will just feel pressure, and people will people aren't very good at handling those emotions well. Possibly at
1: times, at times yes. Other times you will meet some lovely people, or you have a game where you're behind, but there's that one person who's like, "Come on, guys, we can do this. We can still play. We can potentially still win." Like I have been that guy. I have been. Uh, I was playing Nasus. I was in top lane, I was doing very well. My entire team was not. At 15 minutes, the team wanted to surrender. Um, but at 15 minutes, when someone puts for a surrender vote, the entire team has to vote yes. It has to be unanimous. However, because I was head and I knew what I, my champion could do within that game and how the enemy team couldn't really deal with me, I made it so that I did enough calls and enough correct plays that we end up winning that game from that position. And it always feels... And this is the, the heaven side of League of Legends. It has the highest of highs when you know that you are the one who pulls through the team to cause a victory or you've made that perfect pick at the beginning of a team fight that makes it a 4v5 and you manage to completely steamroll them and then you'll get Baron and then win the game, or you completely outplay your opponents. The highs in the game are absolutely riveting, and that's what keeps bringing people back, in my opinion.
0: So this is the hard and fast question that I think will really make it for me it personally at least. Would you say the qualities of those rushes of just like sheer unbridled victory, are they worth all of the negativity and the nonsense and the bad reputation and the bad matchups and the awful community. Would you say those those 1 in 50 or so moments are worth it?
1: Okay, so let me ask you, I'll, I'll throw a question back at you. Uh-huh. As, a, as, a, as a fellow card game player, when when you used to play Storm and you came up against something with Grafton's Cage in the main board and they tutored it out turn or they had it in the opener, game 1, and you basically had to look at them in the eye and say, okay, I concede. But then the next game, you go turn two, storm off, and kill you. Was that worth it?
0: Yeah, that's taken me right back. I can actually see a matchup. <laughs> I, I can, I'll admit that I somewhat played my opponent as much as I played the game. I was up against yep. uh, someone playing Jund, and... Hmm. Uh, I was set to get the turn three turn three combo but I was on the draw and they made and they played Liliana the veil but I made the motion with my hand as though we were both going to discard a card instead of just uh, letting them edict my goblin, collect, goblin electromancer
1: oh <laughs>
0: but very nice but in but literally in that moment as soon as they were untapping they literally looked down and went <sighs> because the moment of being able to have that awareness of what's going on, awareness of what you're doing, of what you're playing, and of what they're playing, and still knowing that by all accounts, that matchup is not supposed to be winnable for me, but still being able yeah. to go through it, there is truly nothing better. So, if you're saying it's on that kind of level, that is too tempting to pass up.
1: So, uh, an example for me so, the main one of the main characters I play is a uh, Fiora, she's mm-hmm. a top laner, that's my primary one of my primary roles. And I was playing against Tom Kench. Now, if there's any League of Legends players listening to this, everyone knows when they play against the Kench in the top lane, how much fun they're going to have. <laughs> it's a miserable, miserable experience. Let's put it that way. But, um, so I was playing against him and I was playing Fiora. And I completely outplayed the because we were near the tower. I got low. They were fairly low. And one of ability abilities to go dive down and then pop back up and it will knock up anyone it comes under and deal damage. And what I had done is use, uh, Fiora's parry ability, which is a, a W for a couple seconds. She's immune to all other abilities. And if an ability that is negated by it, hit and would cause crowd control, and she hits the enemy, they become stunned. So he did his W, I, I countered with my parry, my riposte, and I then queued in and killed him, completely outplaying him. And all oh, the endorphin rush I had is so good, cause I, cause it was just a person. This is the thing with League. Whenever, it's when you're playing versus people, and you do something like that, they thought they had you, and you managed to completely outplay it. And that is, well, as you just said when you gamed your opponent, the endorphin rush is very good, and very high.
0: So that's the kind of potential that will continually draw players back every single time. So, that's... Something that can't be ignored. It's a, uh, it's an exciting idea, an exciting opportunity. But yeah, it's something that I've, I've been on the fringes of for a while. But knowing something that comparable's there, it's it's too good to ignore. But <laughs> yeah, it's good to know that it's out there. But anyway, in terms of the game itself, we've been talking about lanes and roles and champion comps. But um, talk about the actual gameplay itself, because to quote the honest trailers. All I know is that each team is a, to quote the honest Trailers, your team of antisocial bullies run across the map to punch the enemy crystal to death. I know that that, I know that some, to some extent that's true, but I can count on you to talk on the finer details.
1: Okay, so the game is a 5v5 team based game where the objective is to destroy the enemy nexus. It's, yeah, that is like the baseline idea of it. There is. Each lane there's three lanes: there's top lane, mid lane, and bottom lane, as well as the jungle in between. The top uh, each lane has a tower about midway, another the second tower, a tower before the inhibitor, the inhibitor, and then the turrets at the base, which is the nexus, and then the nexus itself. And that's what each lane it leads to is the nexus and the two towers in front of it. The objective of the game is to take your opponent's turrets and go through the lane, destroy their turrets, destroy their inhibitor, destroy their turrets at the bait, nexus, and then destroy the nexus. How many times can I say turrets in one sentence? We'll find out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so to do this, we play in the various lanes of the game. So top lane is typically what's known as a solo lane. You will have one player up there. Typically, I won't go into what Kind of characters will typically go there yet. I'll do that later. Uh, Then there is the jungle, which is a PV. If you want to play some PVE, you play jungle. Unfortunately, you cannot play jungle until you're level 10, your character level 10, because that's when you unlock the summoner spell smite, which you basically need if you want to do jungling. Then there's mid lane, which is another solo lane, and it's the shortest lane. Then there's the bot lane, which is a duo lane. There's the ADC typically, as well as a support and the idea, each uh, lane has their role, typically. The top lane is basically an island. You, you, you fight the guy who's there, or the monster, or the lady, or the um, paragon of a god, basically. Whatever's up there. And then uh, you fight them, and then eventually you'll come down and hopefully be strong enough to typically kill or not die is the general roles of the top laner. To be a massive tank that just never goes down, or to be able to 1v5 and team and be a huge headache. The mid laner is typically someone who roams around the map because they have a short lane, and they have access to both the top lane and the bottom lane with ease, by like going through the river, which is an area in between the enemy and your side. And that's known as rotating. Some champions do this better, sometimes they worse. And they are closest, and they are closest to both of the objectives on the map, which are Dragon and then either Rift Herald or Baron Nasher, which are objectives that the Drungler wants to try and take throughout the game because they provide buffs to your team when they are, when they are killed. But they are typically team fight events that cause fights between both teams. Then the, uh, the bot lane is, Chiefly there to try and get as fed as possible, as it's called, which is to gain kills as well as farm, which is by gain by killing the little minions to gain gold. Get lots of items and then become a glass cannon killing machine. And the support's there to, I think, support.
0: <laughs> Usually, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then there's a the jungler who's basically the babysitter of the game. They will run around and make sure that the lanes try not to get too far ahead or to push them too far, or to push them ahead, as well as to keep the other enemy jungler in check by preventing them from doing their babysitting duties.
0: All right, so there's... As, well as the objectives. Yeah. There's Sorry. definitely a lot of dynamics to how well each member, each team party member has to manage their own lane and their own responsibilities of taking top, middle, bottom, and supervising Mm -hmm. the middle and supporting so i think the first question i have like as a as a complete newcomer is how much are you encouraged to progress your own strategy as well as defending against the enemy team
1: so typically team fights will typically happen in the mid to late portions of the game typically in non-pro games or except for when an invasion happens which uh is where you invade the enemy jungle at the start of the game. Team fights won't happen until the mid portion of the game and the early game is known as the laning phase. This is typically between levels one and six for most champions and it's way or until you're the first turret on the enemy's team is taken. There of course is variance depending on who you're playing, what you're playing against, the game state, what have you. And this is where you're typically just trying to get kills on your opponent's laner or not die yourself. This is where you're trying to make some gold, get your first item and trying to push your game plan and agenda. Then as the game evolves and stuff like Dragon appears or Baron and you start doing team fights based around those things and then it depends on what your role is in the game and if you should be there or not. Typically, yes, but if you're doing... Something known as split pushing, which a champion such as Trindamir might do, which is where they go down a side lane, which is top or bottom, and they'll push it down as far as they can to try and draw enemy champions to them and away from the main fights. So you typically will be advancing your own game plan, but then as the game develops, you will start more and more going into team fights. As champions become more and more able to either just instantly kill you, not die, or you'll get collapsed on by multiple champions, depending on the game state.
0: Okay, so there's definitely a dynamic there, but it depends on the development and the stage of the game. That's to be expected, I guess. It just depends on how many of the uh, NPC minion bots you have to sort of like go through to just sort of grind your levels until then, I presume, right?
1: Yeah, so. You should be killing the minions throughout the game, because they all provide gold, and gold is what you need to get um, your items. Like, unless you are literally getting a kill a minute in the late game, you're probably not getting golden items, which means that you're not getting power spikes, which means that the enemy team will be outscaling you. Which means that you will then die a lot. And if you don't get what's known as CS, which is the killing the minions you will become so far behind that it becomes useless. And some characters are literally entire kits are based on killing the minions, such as Nassus. You typically kill them as they come along to be able to push your lane forward because your minions will go into their tower and start damaging it. It's not just you damaging the tower, the minions will do as well. And sometimes if you just keep killing them, wave, walk away, go back, kill the wave, which is what the um, minions are called, that's because they become waves. They, your your wave will push into their tower, which will slowly take it. And then they'll destroy one tower and then they slowly push it forward. And that's what an important factor of the game is is to be able to push your waves forward and not allow and potentially cut off your opponent's taking of the creeps.
0: All right. So there's definitely an expectation in management to sort of like build yourself up while still completing the main objective so that you are ready for those team fights in the middle late game. Okay. So. Yeah.
1: Like, you can't just sit there in your lane at the start of the game and keep fighting your opponent. Some, some characters can almost do that, but a lot of time you will just die or get out skilled or potentially kill them and then you get some gold there. But if you just completely ignore your creeps, you will lose. You will lose the game for you and your team because you are not getting gold and you will not get any items because you get 300 gold for killing a uh, champion at first kill. If they have no if they haven't been getting killed multiple times in a row and they haven't gained any kills in that time because it resets resets it. So when you kill the enemy champion you get fringe gold for killing them. Unless they have some kind of got a shutdown bonus. For a typical wave is three melee minions and three ranged minions. Uh all the melees are worth twenty one gold each and each of the range are worth 14 which means that you're getting 63... 107 gold per wave. Keep in mind, it's typically a lot easier to kill six of those guys than it is to kill one champion. Yeah, usually. Yeah. So you are getting a lot more gold from doing that and losing a lot of gold if you don't.
0: I suppose this is probably where I've heard the phrase that you can't also spend your entire time farming because you probably could just ignore the main game plan and just keep ki- consistently killing waves as they spawn just to level up your some... your champion as best as you can. But then, after too long,
1: some champions can. And Do... this is where, like, this is where one of my favorite factors of the game. There's 150 champions, plus they're releasing one every few couple months. Real. If there's a kind of game plan you want to try and execute, there's probably a champion for it. So what you're talking about is something what Nasus kind of wants to do. Because what he does is he gains stacks whenever he kills an enemy minion, champion, or uh, monster with his Q. And every time he gains stacks, it gets more powerful. Similar to what happens in Legendary Runeterra. Whenever something dies, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And most champions can't deal with a eight hundred stacked Nasus who's altered. It is, ugh, it's, an unstoppable boss monster at times.
0: It's nice that they were able to get that uh, that look of design to mirror a match between Runeterra and League. That's a nice thing to see.
1: Oh yeah. that's one of my favorite things about the game. Yeah.
0: That's definitely good. So you said just a moment ago that there is a champion that can fit next to any gamer's playstyle, which is a very difficult thing to do within the confines of what the game wants to do. But it's a big claim. Do you do you are sure that that holds up? Um, okay, so yeah, I,
1: I would say for the most part, that obviously they're releasing new champions which have different kits and ideas. For example, the next one is Zeri, who is based on lightning and being an ADC, so she's doing a lot of um, movement speed shenanigans and uh, lightning abilities It's really cool and interesting, and her auto attack is technically her Q instead of her auto attack, which is sweet. But yeah, I would argue that for any kind of playstyle there is a champion for it and any kind of, I would say almost any kind of aesthetic as well.
2: First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast, then came the Spinner Rack, and now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned, I Am The Night, a story about the stories, a show celebrating Batman, the animated series, week by week, episode by episode just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the knight. Why hello there, I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Madbub, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh look, gogur.
1: And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal.
2: Shut up the bat, I'm nuts. I
1: definitely do not fuck that In need of an adult-sized nemesis.
2: Humans make good fertilizers.
1: You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers.
2: Mmm, educational and informative. called a geek comes with a certain image
1: there is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it in
2: reality geek culture has never been more mainstream and behind every geek is a real story my dad was the one who got me into star wars and things join me your super dummy Paul as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16-year-olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively on Fantastic Universes. It's one of them, like, you ever going to grow up? And I'm like, no,
1: why should I? I, I like my life, I, I enjoy what I do, this is my hobby.
2: Available on all your favourite podcast catchers. Hi, my name's Steve, and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But I'll just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked.
0: podcast catcher you have some lists for me that i do love me some stats what what, what are we talking about right now what do you what, what do you have in mind
1: the list would be on uh, which champions i would recommend to start with and like good learning curve for champions against the game that's versus only... champions Who, uh... i would recommend highly against
0: yeah, champions you'd recommend highly against because of their skill level for a, compared, to a newer, to, compared to a newer player or because they there's have... a mixture. Yeah.
1: There's a mixture. So there's some of them that I wouldn't recommend because they're known as traps. They go in the same role as the other champions, but their game plan and how they play is so completely different from everyone else. You won't learn the basics of the game by playing them a really good example of this is, um, in my personal opinion and the others that I've spoke to about, is Singed. Okay. Because his entire game plan, instead of wanting your enemy in front of you, you want them behind you. Okay. Is how you fight people, and you run away from people. Because what Singed does is he creates a poison cloud behind him that as he walks, it leaves behind so how he plays is he wants to do something known as proxying waves, which is where he goes behind the enemy tower to catch waves before they get in front of it and kill them before they interact with his wave. But also when he fights an enemy champion, it's the idea of one of his ability flips the enemy over him so it's behind him, and then he walks away and just keeps running. And that's how he does damage and kills people.
0: Yeah, I can see how that would be a particularly different playstyle because... Yes. Uh, for a newer player, they'll be like, ah, ha, ha, I'm going to kill you with this fart of death. and Come chase me. But then yeah. savvy players will be like, No, you're a cinch player. I'm not going to chase you. Are you stupid? Yeah. That's, th- that's why that flipping yeah. move is so important. But again, that'll be something that I think requires a bit of practice for a newer player. Yeah.
1: Oh, luckily, it's a point and click one, I believe. Oh, okay. It's not, it's not a skill shot, luckily, like um, ergots but, uh, yeah, so he plays very differently from the vast majority of characters within the entire game. He's very unique. And it's why a lot of people who do play him end up maining him and don't touch anyone else.
0: Because they get so used to that really, really unique playstyle that everyone else just feels a bit strange after yeah. so long.
1: A mixture of that and they enjoy his uniqueness. Yeah. Like, that is something to be said. Like, there's some people like playing something that is weird to play against and quite hard to fight, realistically.
0: Yeah, I can imagine and a good singe player being very tough to play against.
1: Yes. And then you also have champions like, um, let me take a look here. I've got a list of all the champions in front of me. Uh, a champion such as Evelyn, for example, who's a jungler. She's an assassin, but she can't really do anything realistically until level 6. So she's known as a farming jungler. And unfortunately with jungling, you typically want to try and get a couple of ganks, which is where you in- invade someone else's lane to help them out, and get a 2v1 or 3v2 situation. Evelyn can't really do that in the early stages of the game, and so she becomes this trap of, you'll think, oh, I should sit here and I should farm until I hit level 6 if I'm playing jungle, which is not the case. You always do a full clear, which is to kill all your camps, of monsters in the jungle, which not every champion wants to do, and not every, ch- and you're not supposed to do always have to do every game. Sometimes you're supposed to do one area where you only kill three camps because each portion has only three camps, and then you go and, and gank a lane. Whereas with uh, Master Yi, typically, as well as Evelyn. You kind of sit there until you're level six, and then you go do stuff.
0: So that's an interesting point of uh, design tension there. So that you have the you have the des- you have the inherent need of a character just to be of a certain level to be able to compete in the match, but despite where you're placed, you can't really play that way. So you have to sort of balance farming to grow to a reasonable level while still playing to the lane and trying to look out for as many members of the team as possible. Is that it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's like. Uh on the other side of the spectrum there's like Elise who uh, is quite different in uh, League of Legends compared to uh, Legend of Rune Terror in my opinion and the way she plays is she's supposed to be a very gank heavy champion at level Once she's done her first three camps she's then supposed to go gank that's what she wants to do she wants and then there's like Xin Zhao who at level two wants to do a gank sometimes he gets his one level off his one off his buff, and then he goes gank someone sometimes.
0: So there's it is. Each champion does really require a great deal of learning before you even consider starting to main yeah. them, and even then, it's also worth knowing what the mess is like and how each champion sort of somehow works, just so that you can have a decent to, an extent, yes. yeah, to have a decent shot of them. You did say when we talked about this in person that this the barrier for entry and just in how much you have to understand is quite high compared to a lot of other games in the market right now, which, oh, is, yes. which is why the player base is so loyal that they've spent this time learning it. So cost means that they're committed to it because they know so much about how entrenched and deep the game can be at.
1: Yes. So as I said, there's 150 plus champions. There's a champion for basically any kind of niche you want. And that is a truly a blessing. However, there's also 150 champions that you have to learn how to play versus. If you come up into a game and you're playing for the first time and you look at the enemy team, you will have no idea what any of them could do. And then the next game you're playing against five brand new champions. Then you look at the champions that you're playing with and you don't know what they're going to be doing. And that is one of the high skills like one of the um, learning curves of the game is just Playing enough games or doing enough research where you can kind of go, oh, I kind of know what they kind of want to do, and then hope to be able to play through it or learn through the game.
0: Yeah, so it does require sort of very vaguely understanding what each... Uh, rival champion and even then what knowing what some of your allies can do uh, the the other four teammates that's yeah. also quite essential as well because you should know what their plan is and how best to assist them so yeah. it just
1: becomes even more important with certain champions in the game which can steal or copy other champions abilities so that's something they've been playing a lot with uh, playing with occasionally now
0: yeah, so that's an extra challenge as well. So it'll be really awkward if you're just playing one of those champions that clone abilities, and it's just like, haha, I've got your powers now. Wait, what do these do? So we've talked about some traps before, and you talked about Fiora as well, but what other good starters would you recommend alongside uh, Swishy Duelist Lady?
1: <laughs> swishy Duelist Lady. Uh, so... In the game, you purchase champions through something called Blue Essence, typically, and you get this through playing games and mission rewards and stuff like that, as well as leveling up. At the start of the game, when you make a new account, you'll get a, once a day, you'll get a brand new champion for each different little lanes, as well as um, a five tutorial champion, which is nice. Now, champions have different costs of Blue Essence. Some start at 450 and it goes up to 6,300. These are supposed to be a case of um, difficulty and like intro level characters on the most part for like the 450s and it goes up to the newer and more difficult ones. Supposedly, this is not always the case. I say this because uh, Singed is a 450 blue essence champion, and we've already spoke about that man.
0: Yeah, that could be tricky.
1: Yeah, he is, hence why he's such a massive trap, because he's so cheap, most people pick him up fairly early. And if I go, oh, I'm playing top, I'll try him out. And it's just not a fun time. So, if I were to recommend some out of the 450s, uh, Poppy and Dr. Mundo are great top laners. I personally play a lot of Poppy. Uh, my housemate, Kurt, plays a lot of Dr. Mundo. Both of them are very strong in the game. Dr. Mundo is one of the most unkillable champions in the entire game and has very low punish levels, which is really nice. Uh, Garen is also a very good top laner. I would say for top lane, this is a very good list. Uh, Annie is a very strong mid laner. Uh, She's really easy to play, realistically speaking, because she goes casts four spells then gets a stun and just bursts people to death. Kale is a weird one. She's supposed to be a top laner or mid laner. That's where she's played. But she's a scaling champion. Okay. I, I mean this in the most literal of senses. Some champions, all champions scale, but when you refer to a scaling champion, it means they're trying to either get some kind of resource, like with Nassus or Vygar, or they're trying to uh, stack something up or get to certain levels, like Cassadin um, does. He wants to get to level 16. Kale at level 6, 11, and 16 gets a power spike.
0: Okay. Just for existing. Just for, just for being there. Just like... for existing.
1: As soon as she gets level 6, she get levels, she ascends a stage, basically. And she, now all of her net, originally she's melee, and then she goes to ranged attacks. Then when she levels up again, she gets faster and more powerful ranged attacks that can then become AoE. And then when at max, all of her attacks are AoE wow okay aoe being area of effect at level 16 she can kill most champions in the entire game by herself she's ridiculous at that point Hmm.
0: definitely rewarded for being a strange angel lady
1: yeah but at level one and one to six you're kind of
0: useless (laughs) so you have to farm a significant amount
1: yeah, so you have to play safe. You have to be careful versus the enemy top lane, unless it's also Nasus, who's also fairly useless level one. And that in stats. So you have to be a bit safer than, say, Garen or Dr. Mundo, who can fight for days at that level. Um, then there's Ash, who's one of my favorite ADCs. She's really easy to play and is still one of the strongest ones in existence. Uh, Nunu is also a fairly simple um, jungler to play, but I'm not a fan of him personally.
0: Okay, it's a preference thing?
1: He's supposed to be, he's a tank jungler. My problem with him is is that his big kit defining thing is a massive snowball that builds up over time as he walks with it. But as he's walking with it, you have difficulty turning because you're pushing this massive snowball. And I feel like it can lead to a lot of instances where you miss it and players become frustrated. As well as instances of not being able to perform very well due to that being such a large part of his kit. The other characters I've mentioned so far are all characters that, well at least the top players, Annie and Ash have problems with uh, if they become behind. The other champions all provide value even if they are behind because they're tanky and they're hard to kill.
0: So there's definitely enough champions of each role that can def- that seem simple enough to encourage a newer player.
1: Oh, yes, very much. Um, and my pick for jungler, if you want to learn jungle once you're level 10 and you want it cheap, play Warwick. Okay. He's so hard to kill. He's very good at killing and he's very fast. He's really strong.
0: Good to know. Love me some tech werewolves.
1: Yes, he is very different from when I started playing. <laughs> yeah, like you said, they uh,
0: they they re rework and change up laws and character looks yes. quite often.
1: But with and this the... is the uh, sorry,
0: no, no you, you you sounded more interesting. I was going to start angling towards the enemy crystal blowing up and us eventually winning the match. But yeah, what were you going to say? Uh, uh,
1: so one of the other good things about a game, yeah. Say I was to take a break right now and come back six months later. I would be playing essentially a different game. No. Champions would have been reworked, bust and debust would have hap- Bus and, um, would have occurred. Nurse, sorry. As well as new items potentially, no, like, unlikely new items, but new additions, new champions. Top lane could look completely different, because I'll say that because that's my main role. At the moment, I believe, um, Victor's really popular, Poppy's popular, Garen's always popular, like, the various popular champions could be not played at all, and brand new ones could be playing there. I don't know. I don't know what could be meta at the time, or what people could be liking to play. And that's what's so amazing about the game. It's like, you could walk away for a certain amount of time and come back and be playing with brand new champions, or brand new um, tweaks to your abilities, making your sh- champion that you want to play stronger or weaker. And working your ways around that.
0: That's so interesting to hear that it can be that changeable that quickly and the, the meta can still diversify that well because of good balance and consistent new content. That's actually really refreshing. I was very yes. prepared to hear the opposite, but I hadn't thought of what it would be like if it was that changeable and that like well handled. So that's actually given me quite a bit of hope. That's I, quite nice to hear. I believe
1: that every couple of weeks they do a patch with revised nerfs and buffs or every month. And then every couple months a brand new champion comes out. Uh, at least once a year they do a VGU. And yeah. And then there's just what people like playing. And there's also the pro scene which will also influence certain levels. Yeah. And certain champions. As well as stuff like Arcane coming out which also influences it. Like the playability of Victor by Caitlyn... Lest so, Jinx, but the others, especially and Jace, all skyrocketed it yeah. when uh, Arcane came out.
0: It would do, I suppose. But then again, I think that was just down to great marketing for what was, for me at least, my TV pickup twenty twenty one. Not shelling oh, out. This yes. is genuine opinion. It's, it was excellent television.
1: I fully and utterly agree.
0: But there's a lot to think about with a game this entrenched and this detailed. You've certainly given us a great place to start and given me personally a great deal of hope, even though there's a lot of bad reputation and understandably so here within League of Legends. But we've been given a good framework to start and I am very grateful for you to take the time to talk it all through. My good pals, are there any big points you wanted to sort of round off with before we signed out of this show for today? My personal opinion, advice for the game is either A, if you can try and play it with someone
1: else, it's it's more fun with a group. I will admit that. It can be fun by yourself, but it's more fun with friends and people you can play with. And also, the worst it's a free game. Give it a shot. If you don't enjoy it, after you hit, like, see, play to level 10, it doesn't take too long to get there. If you play to level 10, maybe a little bit beyond, and you don't enjoy it, then don't play it. You haven't put any money into it. It's not like you're paying £5 to start playing or anything like that. There's no loss other than time. And if you've got a bit of spare time, games can last anywhere between 20 minutes and forty-five. if you're unlucky longer, but typically within that time frame. And hopefully you can enjoy it and have some fun.
0: I'm sure that... uh many people will start to consider it because I've been... I've always been very impressed by the people that I've had on our show just to talk about gaming goodness, but this one's actually... This was a game that I've been the most genuinely sort of on the fence in considering simply by how much I've enjoyed Legends of Runeterra and some of the other IP and uh, media that Riot puts out there, but this has been the closest I've got, so I probably will consider it very soon, but I'll need your backup, uh, but I'm something else. Oh,
1: I am... quite happy to come along with you on that journey on um, my main account or one of my side accounts that i built play with uh, new new friends to start out uh i'm quite happy to play it and try to help out as much as i can to make someone enjoy it oh,
0: i'm certain that i'll need that assistance but that's something i'll be very much taking you up on very soon but that is something you will hear me reporting on the next episode or a later edition of the Hostile Takeover. But this is not the last time you'll be hearing of our dear friend Connor here. He will be joining us again very soon as much as I host this popular segment with Essie and Aaron Spencer Productions talking about Dungeons & Dragons, the fine and broad world of card gaming, TCGs and CCGs is something that has united Connor and I together. So a regular segment much like that will be where we talk everything about Legends of Runeterra, Magic, and the various other games that he and I dabble with. I'm certain I could talk to him about the wider metagame of Skyweaver whilst he talks to me about what the very strange formats of Yu-Gi-Oh! are and some of the other games that neither of us may even have heard of that we could possibly dabble together. The sky is open, or however the metaphor goes.
1: Can't wait. It's going to be so much fun.
0: Yes, it will. But that will be for your viewing and listening pleasure very soon, Disney listeners. Thank you for listening. And until next time, live free and play well.